talking about Christ, and uh, praise the Lord for that. We are in uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at verses 20 all the way to verse 24. Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be looking at specifically uh, the verses found in verse 20 all the way to verse 24. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 4, 20, this is the Word of the Lord. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you, being renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, being created in righteousness and holiness uh, of the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for this opportunity we have to look at your word. Father, you care very much about our holiness much more than what we tend to care for. Father, sometimes we think that holiness gets in the way of more important things. Father, I pray that you would correct our minds, use this text to transform us, that we see those things we need to change and pursue holiness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Last week, we looked at the fact that uh, all pain that exists is caused by sin. All pain that we go through in this life is caused by sin. Now, there are different consequences of sin. Not all sin is because of us doing something sinful. There are natural disasters. Uh, we live in a world where there's longing to be redeemed. And in this uh, longing to redeem, there's hurricanes, there's earthquakes, but then there's other things, there's uh, sicknesses, sicknesses that have no cure. We, we go through pain because we live in a sinful world, and some of that is just natural uh, consequences of living in this world. There's also sins committed against you. I said that there's acts of negligence. There's uh, times where you hope that the person would be a good worker, but they were lazy that day, and for some reason or another, they didn't do things right, and you end up having to pay the consequences of someone not having a good work ethic. Or their spiritual warfare. Uh, the letter to the Ephesians puts a strong emphasis uh, on this battle that we have, spiritual battle that we have, and to the point where he uh, puts so much attention to the armor that we must put on. And then there's also... Uh, third, sinful, intentional acts. Uh, an individual does something intentional against you. Uh, you weren't necessarily looking to entice them. You weren't necessarily looking to do something against them. But they have, in their possession, has done something against you. And so we have these types of sin. And, and of course, last week we focused specifically on our own sinful desires. And that was found from the fact that we were looking at verse um, 
Uh, in 17 it says, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. That hardened heart is what leads us into sinfulness. We pursue after sinfulness. We desire sinfulness. So Paul is presenting two ways, two, two ways that we can go. Uh, this idea of two ways is reiterated all throughout Scripture. There's, <laughs> all the way from the Garden of Eden, there's two ways you can go. You can either obey God and enjoy all the fruits except for one, or you can enjoy that one fruit and lose everything. Your choice. But there's always just two ways. Uh, James presents this in James chapter 1, 13 through 18. Uh, he talks about this uh, when he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren, for every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who, uh, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we uh, would be a kind of firstfruits among his creatures. So, we looked at specifically that sin or hardness of our hearts leads us in a certain way. Now, we're going to expand this a little bit. We're going to open this up because of the text it does this. So there are situations in our life where we are affected by a, a natural disaster or, or a sickness that isn't healed, you know, something that happens to us, a death in the family, or, or maybe some negligence from some person or some type of spiritual warfare, or someone specifically has sinned against you. Now, at that point, we are, we are suffering because of sin. But how are we supposed to react at that point? What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to go around as a perpetual griever, just all the time grieving about what has happened? Are we to be a perpetual victim this thing happened in my childhood, and now I'm at my age now, and I'm, and I'm going every day to therapy, and I, you don't understand. I didn't get the bike I wanted when I was a kid. Now I'm making light of it, but it could be something else. It could be an actual situation. Are we to live life constantly as a victim or a perpetual griever? Is that what the text presents us? Our model is Jesus Christ. And thinking about somebody who was uh, treated unfairly, uh, Christ went to the cross. Now, it was the plan of God for Christ to go to the cross. But uh, there was individuals that judged him unfairly. Now, how, how is Christ acting now? Is Christ up in heaven saying, oh, they were so mean to me. They hit me. And and they crucified me. Is he perpetually grieving and saddened? No, he's at the right hand. Victoriously risen at the right hand of the Father. 
Christ is our example. So what we're going to be looking at is a way of living, a way of behaving, where even though someone has sinned against us, someone has uh, attacked or, or a natural disaster happened, a sickness that there is no cure to, even if that is introduced into our life, there is a certain way that we are to react and behave as Christians found in this text. What we're going to be looking at today is if you know Christ, then you will continually restrain sin in your life, think deeply about God, and live like Christ. If you know Christ, then you will continually restrain sin in your life, think deeply about God, and live like Christ. Now, there's probably not another text in Scripture that will uh, challenge your view of the sufficiency of Scripture in your life. Uh, there, there won't be another text, probably, that will challenge the sufficiency of Scripture because at the end of the day, you're going to have to ask yourself, do I really believe what is being presented here or am I going to continue living as I'm living? What we're going to look at today is that our actions reflect our knowledge of Christ. And we see that in verse 20. Our actions reflect our knowledge of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, 20, there's a uh, conjunction that uh, causes a contrast with the previous verse. And the previous verse, verse 19, gives a result of a hardened heart. And they have become calloused, which uh, is a loss of sensitivity, but it goes beyond just a lack, lack of sensitivity. And the person has have an emptiness, a depression, is despondent. They, they have no purpose. There's nothing that they're going towards. And in this, what, what they end up doing, as it says in verse 19, they have given themselves over. They purposely put themselves in this position. They set themselves up towards this direction. It's their goal. It's their aim. They move into this direction. What is that direction? They have given themselves over to sensuality. The word sensuality does have a sexual connotation to it, but it goes beyond that. It meaning that there are no restrictions, there are no limits. It is a life in pursuit of some type of feeling, not knowing where that feeling is going to come from. Many times expressed itself in sexuality, which, which you see. There, there are individuals who, not wanting to worship the Lord, hardening themselves against God. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 and following, that the wrath of God has been revealed against uh, individuals who did not choose to glorify God or be thankful to God, so their hearts were darkened. And rather than going through naturally what God has ordained, they decide sexually to go after other things. And you see individuals uh, born a male, and, and now they've chosen to be something else. Uh, why are they doing that? Uh, the heart is darkened. Their heart is, is hardened against the Lord, and their mind is darkened. This is not an opinion of mine. This is not like something I'm just making up. This is something that's found in the text. And we have to say what the text says. Now, in contrast to the results of this, which leads up to every kind of impurity, with greediness, which is a form of idolatry that says, I will establish myself as sovereign in my life, and I will dictate what I want. This greediness, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, is a form of idolatry. In contrast to that, Paul says in verse 20, but you did not learn Christ 
in this way. This word for learn uh, is, uh, is having this gain knowledge or a skill by instruction, but it has an aspect to it that uh, involves a, an experience of, of practice, of, of doing something. So it's not just something that you read and you gain information, but it's something that you learn for the purpose of use. Uh, I, don't, I don't hunt, that's not my thing. But I could pick up one of those magazines that they have at the car places where they do your oil change, and I could read about hunting. And I could have information about hunting. Oh, guns, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. I could have all that information, but it won't change anything because I really have no desire to go out hunting. It's just information that I'll have in my head. This word here isn't that way. It's used in a couple different places, and it has this, uh, this impact where there's something that's supposed to be done based on this knowledge. For example, John chapter 6. If we go to John chapter 6, uh, Jesus uses this word. We find it in John chapter 6, verse 45. Uh, he is speaking, and it says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. That's our word, taught. Everyone who heard and learned from the Father comes to me. This being taught by God, of God, leads the person to Christ. That's what it does. There's an expectation that comes from this learning, which is that they come to me, they come to Christ. It's also used over in Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. We go to Philippians chapter 4 and we find ourselves in verse 9. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So he's in this application part, and he says that these things that you have learned, those things which you have learned, you're to practice them. It's not just academic information. It's not being able to answer a test. It's something that you're supposed to be able to live out daily. So here we are back in Ephesians, and the contrast, but you, addressing those who are believers, uh, did not learn. You have not gathered this information for the practice of what? Of Christ. Have not learned Christ in this way. Uh, Christ, who is crucial to the gospel. It's the word of God that became flesh, that dwelt among us. He, he lived and gave signs, signs that he was the Messiah. He offered the kingdom, and the kingdom was rejected, all in God's sovereignty. Christ went to the cross and died for us. He became flesh. The word of God became flesh. and We put our faith in the word of God that became flesh, and we have salvation. If you learn, but, but you did not learn Christ in this way. It's contrasting with the previous result of a hardened heart. Now, when we think about this, he's talking about our actions. And we have to ask ourselves two questions. What do your actions show? If our actions reflect our knowledge of Christ, we can start thinking back to uh, this year, or we can be reflecting back on this last week, because for, for some of us it might be a little too hard to think the whole year. So let's just go from back Monday 
what do my actions reflect of my knowledge of God? Or does it reflect nothing more than an unsaved person's lifestyle? What does my actions show about my values and what I know about the Lord? What is it that my actions reflect about what I really know about God? See, it might reflect that we have a hardened heart towards God or that we're living with passions without restraint or that we're living greedy. I would hope that we have not learned Christ in this way and that our actions reflect something different. To, to walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. Now, what's interesting is that sometimes we can daydream and suppose, and we can suppose that our actions are different than what they are. Or we can suppose that our knowledge is somewhere where it's at where our actions do not really reflect what we know. In other words, we can say, well, I've got all this information, but I live differently. That means you really don't have the information. Now, when we think about this, what does our actions show? It could be, it could be that our actions are reflecting that we really do not know Christ. And that's a scary thing to contemplate, to really think about. Oh, we have information. We've heard stories. Maybe we filled out a card at one point. Maybe, maybe we said a prayer. I don't know. But as you look at your actions, maybe it reflects that you really just do not know Christ as your Savior. There was a kind of a debate between two Puritans. John Owen, who was a Puritan scholar, he was uh, over Oxford University, the administrator over Oxford University. And um, he wrote a, a book, of The Death of Death and the Death of Christ, and he argued that in Christ's death, everything was accomplished. Absolutely everything. People don't bring anything to salvation other than their own sin, which required salvation. And he's absolutely right. We don't bring a thing. All we do is bring our guilt. Richard Baxter, he was a pastor. He wasn't a scholar. And he saw something that was going on. He wrote the Reformed pastor. He could see out in his church the effects of sin. He could see where there was individuals who were making profession that they knew God, but then their lifestyle was not one of holiness. And he argued rather strongly that uh, a person like that is probably not saved at all. Disciples of, of individuals usually are not as gracious as the two people that are conflicting. And so the disciples of these individuals really started clashing John Owen against Richard Baxter. And back and back it went. But both are right. We add nothing to salvation at all. We don't. But a person saved will live differently. A person saved will live in a manner that's, that's totally different. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 10, we, we are saved for good works. God has already established them for us to live in them, for, to do them. Is it possible that your actions are revealing your heart and your heart has not been transformed? You have not been saved. You're still separate from God. What, what to do in that situation? 
Maybe you should try more church attendance. Or maybe, maybe upping the offering that you're giving. Or maybe kind of volunteering at Goodwill or maybe ringing the, the bell for the, 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 is it the Red Cross? I think it's the Red Cross. Salvation Army. Is that what's going to save you? No. None of that stuff will. Maybe if you pray more or, or sing louder during the service, it's not going to save you either. It's only faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done in the cross. It's not trying harder. It's believing that Jesus Christ saves you. Now, if we look at this, our actions reflect our knowledge of Christ. Our actions should continually be transformative. Our actions should continually be transformative. Now, what I'm about to uh, present here about transformation should be understood as a step of faith. Now, I know you're probably thinking right now through the text that we read, and you say, Daniel, you, you didn't, there's, faith is not here. Where are you coming with this faith aspect? It's not enough to have moral actions. Because there's a lot of unsaved people that are very moral individuals. Uh, I have a next-door neighbor that's very moral. Lost as lost can be, but very moral. Very helpful. It, Faith is what distinguishes a person's obedience and transforms them and sanctifies them and edifies them into the, the image of Christ. Faith is that thing. So where am I getting this aspect of faith? Well, let's look at verse 21. As we look in verse 21, it says, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him. So... It, Paul is beginning with a conditional sentence. If you're into that type of stuff, it's a first-class conditional sentence that for uh, just the, uh, it takes for the assumption of truth, the argument. So it's going to present something. If this is true, then for the sake of argument, then this. It's an interesting construction because usually you have if, then, but he has it reversed because the F is verse 21, which extends itself through verse 24. Then the then part is found in verse 20. It's an unusual way. He's done it before in chapter 3. Now, in this that he's presenting, if indeed, what has happened if indeed, conditionally? What, what could have happened? There's two things, two indicatives. The first is you heard. Yeah, you heard. If you heard. Uh, it has an idea of perceiving sound, but it goes a lot more than just perceiving sound. It, it has the idea of understanding. Uh, many times when Americans will go over to another country that does not speak English, uh, they'll try to communicate or ask questions with other people. And it doesn't matter where the person is from here in the States. Uh, we all tend to do it the same. I don't know why, but we do it. Uh, when we're trying to communicate to somebody overseas who does not understand us, what, what is it that we do? The first go around, we say it, and the second go around, what do we do? We get louder. Where is the bus stop? As if the problem is a perception of sound. It's not a perception of sound. It's, it's understanding. Why, why do we do that? I have no idea. It's, some, it's part of our DNA, I think. We get taught as little children to do this stuff. Uh, go to another country and we... Say it louder as if that's going to help. It, the idea here is not a perception of sound alone, 
but rather an understanding of what is being said. If you have heard, hear what? Hear what? Well, him. The him goes back to Christ. Verse 20, you have heard him. Now, hearing uh, also is and have been taught. Have been taught is uh, to have this instruction. It, it's a passive, which is uh, that the subject has gone out and taught himself, but rather that the subject uh, has been taught, has received this information. So if you've heard and if you have been instructed, you have gained this uh, information. Uh, has this idea of explaining something for the point of living it out. Now, again, it's in him. The, the topic is in him. So there's two methods of gaining information, of being of hearing him and being taught in him. That's who, who we're looking at. Now, if we look at contextually uh, this understanding of, of knowing this information, we'd go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, To the end that we who were first to hope in. To hope in is to put your belief in something, to be anticipating, to finding some type of rescue in Christ. Uh, would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him. That belief is this aspect of faith where you're trusting in some, someone, specifically Christ. Contextually, it's Christ. And because of this believing, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. If we jump down to verse 15, it says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Uh, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, it, of his inheritance in the saints. Uh, faith is what activates this. Going back to uh, verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught, you hear this information and you have been taught this information and you use it in faith, in obedience. Now, what else do we have here? Well, we have uh, the truth uh, as as of Jesus, and then we're going to have three things that we need to be doing. And this is where we're really going to struggle with the uh, aspect of sufficiency of Scripture. The first thing, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. So talking about your old way of living, this old way of living, you're supposed to do something which is to take off, to lay aside. It has this idea of removing from a locality or place and putting it somewhere else. Putting it somewhere else. It has a, a, a middle voice, and a middle voice has, uh, in Greek, the idea of the subject having an active participation in this. 
So this is not that, you know, when you have a little kid, you have to take their clothes off and undress them. This is not being done for you. This is you taking off, you removing. And, and the subject is involved in it, as in you're taking this off yourself. What are you taking off? Well, the former manner of life. The old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. To take it off. To remove it. Now, thinking about this taking off, uh, it's not with the idea that you take it off and you kind of keep it close by so that you can then pick it back up and put it on. That's, that's not the idea. The idea is you're taking it off and removing it putting it aside. You, you stop that. And then what are you supposed to do? Well, there's a next step, which is found in verse 23. So you, you take off, then verse 23, uh, and, and that you be renewed. Be renewed. It's a, it's a passive. It's not you renewing yourself, but you are renewed. How does this happen? Well, we learn from Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 that Christ has given certain gifts, and these gifts reflect a use of the text for what purpose? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, till we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure and the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. This renewing happens through God giving gifts. Christ is giving gifts, and these Gifts are exercised within the church to help us renew our mind, the spirit of our mind. But, but I only come Sunday morning. I, I get that. You'll get more benefit if you come to more services. Because it's through the use of Scripture that our minds are renewed. Christ has given these gifts, and these gifts teach the Word. And it renews our mind. Now, what's the third step? So the third step is found in verse 20, 24. And put on the new self. Put on. So we have a take off, be renewed. Not you're renewing yourself, but be renewed and to put on. Uh, again, that's a medal which involves the subject having an active participation. Uh, uh, you yourself put this on. So you yourself take this off. You yourself put this on. The passive is you're being renewed through these gifts, right? So this uh, putting on, what are you, what, what's being put on? The, the new self. What, what is this new self like? <laughs> Which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Many times we fail in our sanctification because we don't want to stop the sin that we're involved in. Many times we want to kind of put on the righteousness and holiness on top of the sin that we're committing. We're actively involved and we enjoy it. It's sin. We, we, don't, we don't want to stop it. So we try to somehow speak words that are a blessing while at the same time calling somebody up and tearing them down and gossiping. We want to use our hands to serve 
while at the same time using our hands for sinfulness. We want to try to use our feet to, to, to lead towards the Lord, while at the same time not wanting to keep on walking back to sin. What Paul says here, you need to stop it. And take it off. You say, you, you don't understand. I have an addiction to this. I had a doctor tell me and it was addiction. In fact, I take medicines for it. If it's sin, this is where it challenges the sufficiency of Scripture. Because either you're going to believe that you need to stop the sin, or you're going to keep on playing around with it. You're either going to decide, yes, I need to remove it, root it out, or you're going to keep on playing with it. It challenges the sufficiency of Scripture. But I have this other person. This person is so wise. He has so many degrees, and he's told me. I get it. But the question is, what are you going to do about this text? Is it true? Are you going to obey it? Or are you going to disobey it? The putting off, if you're trying to stop, for example, a car, you can't keep on pressing the accelerator and the brake. It just doesn't work that way. You have to do one or the other, but you can't do both. In the Christian life, you have to put off to stop. Oh, but I'm enjoying it so much. God cares a lot more about our holiness. Last week, I said that the number one verse that was highlighted on the app, U version, was Isaiah 41.10, which says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Specifically, that part is what was highlighted the most and shared the most. And it kind of just shows where we're at as a culture, where we're encouraging one another not to fear because the Lord is with them. Interestingly enough, what was not popular, not even on the list, was 1 Peter 1, 14-16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. <laughs> that one didn't get shared. No one said, hey, be holy, for God is holy. That just wasn't happening. And it kind of reflects where we're at as a nation that shares verses. 1 Peter 2.5 says, You also, as the living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God cares about our holiness. In fact, Jesus said, if your eye offends you, do what? Pluck it out. Oh, he cares so much about my comfort, does he? He cares much more for our holiness. If you know Christ, then you'll continually receive sin in your life. You'll think deeply about God, and you'll live like Christ. It might be that you cannot do this because you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. And maybe as I was talking about your actions and you were reflecting about those actions, you said, you know what? My actions, all they show is that I don't have a relationship with God at all. And I would encourage you in the moment of invitation that you would come forward. I would love to talk with you, show you in the Scriptures how you can have a relationship with God. 
others might be saved here, and you're still living in the results of sin of verse 19. You have a hardened heart. You want your way, and it demonstrates itself through greediness. But according to what Paul has written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if indeed you have heard of him and been taught of him, you're going to put off, be renewed, and put on. Let's pray. Father, I pray now as we consider our life.